millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Wednesday, the 15th of August, 1945. That was the day that Australia erupted with joy at news that after five years, 11 months and 11 days, the Second World War was over. When the 15th of August 1945 dawned, peace was far from certain. Would Japan accept the Allied demand for unconditional surrender in the wake of the atomic devastation of Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Or would Emperor Hirohito order his soldiers, pilots, sailors and civilians to fight to the death? Would there need to be a bloody ground war to capture the Japanese home islands? And would there need to be another nuclear attack on a Japanese city? Even as Australians that day got ready for work and school, the war was still going on, with a massive American air raid on the Japanese city of Osaka in which 800 superfortresses dropped some 6,000 tonnes of bombs. Then came the news. Emperor Hirohito had ordered the Japanese military to surrender. In his radio broadcast to his people, he framed this capitulation as saving the world. The atomic bomb, he said, was, quote, a new and most cruel bomb, the power of which is to do damage incalculable. And he said, to go on fighting would mean the obliteration not only of the Japanese people, but of the entire human race. At 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time, people listening to wirelesses heard the historic broadcast as British Prime Minister Clement Attlee announced that the war was over. This news rolled out slowly at first and then it became a tsunami, spreading fastest among city workers in Australia's eastern capitals. In Melbourne, office employees who'd been listening to the radio went to windows and shouted, Peace! And it's finished. On the streets below, commuters who were running late for work looked up through the drizzle, straining to hear whatever was being yelled with such urgency and jubilation. Then came the first flurries of paper from above. Confetti, shredded newspaper, war bond pamphlets, whatever was to hand. And cheers were heard here and there echoing through the city's canyons. In Melbourne and in Sydney and Brisbane, Handfuls, then hundreds, then thousands of office workers and shop assistants dashed into the streets, cheering and dancing and spreading the good news. As Melbourne's Herald newspaper recorded, quote, Then the whole city stirred. By 9.10, Collins Street was like a snowstorm with papers falling. A woman working in the Manchester Unity building was quoted as saying, There go all the bosses' engagements for the rest of the year as she threw the pages of his business diary out the window. Work was finished and the rest of the day was an official holiday, with schools also let out. In Sydney, there was cheering in the streets and every ship on the harbour that had a steam up blasted its sirens continuously. 
Amid this cacophony, a manly ferry arrived at Circular Quay, which was thronged with cheering people. A reporter for Sydney's The Sun wrote, Ferry passengers, dumbfounded for a few seconds, quickly realised the significance to the noise. Many grabbed each other and danced around, some singing and laughing, some crying. In Brisbane, people surged into the streets and clambered out of windows onto awnings. As the City Telegraph newspaper reported, the announcement, quote, at first found Brisbane people incredulous, then deliriously happy. The city gave itself over to unrestrained rejoicing. By 9.15, all of Melbourne seemed to be cheering. Someone went up and down Collins Street clanging an auction bell, and people in cars whose windshields were plastered with drizzle-soaked confetti honked their horns. Shop girls who'd rushed from a Burke Street store formed a dancing crocodile 100 yards long, while thousands of other young and not-so-young men and women formed dancing ring-a-rosies. Melbourne's Chinatown and its counterparts in other cities erupted in celebrations also. Their residents overjoyed that China's eight-year war with Japan had finally ended in victory. By 10am, Melbourne's town hall was covered with flags and electricians were festooning the building with lights for that night's big celebration. A store in Burke Street sold penny whistles and noisemakers at the door, while boys raided Chinatown for fireworks. By 11 though, most Melbourne stores were closed. There were 250,000 people in the streets and they were too busy celebrating to buy much of anything. There were perhaps twice that number in Sydney and record crowds also in Brisbane and by now in Adelaide and Perth. Melbourne's Herald reported, quote, Bands started up and kept the whole city milling like a huge circus as the people poured around the main blocks. In addition to all the confetti, revellers were also scattering flowers. A returned soldier working as a city flower seller told passing girls they could each have a bunch of flowers for a kiss. He was sold out in minutes. Another group of girls, when coming from their workplace, had bought up a florist's entire stock so they could throw flowers into the crowds. In Sydney, a group of girls stormed a truck carrying soldiers and overwhelmed these men with kisses, though the surprised diggers were quick to respond in kind. Another soldier stood outside a Sydney department store and was reported as solemnly kissing 30 girls one by one. All around, everywhere, people sang songs like Australia Will Be There, Pack Up Your Troubles and Bless Them All. In Melbourne, Telegraph boys took turns piggybacking each other. This caught on and soon everyone was doing it. There were lots of other high-spirited hijinks as well. A crowd of youngsters hijacked a horse-drawn milk cart and drove it down Burke Street singing Roll Out the Barrel while chugging bottles of the creamy stuff. Other kids leapt onto a brewery delivery wagon, rifled a case of siphons and sprayed the crowd with soda water. Boys with fireworks threw bangers at the feet of the crowds. No one seemed to mind, nor did Melburnians seem to care when someone threw a wet fish into a group of revellers. The Herald reported, quote, Thousands shrieked as it was tossed about above the crowd, which scattered every time it fell. Yet the game was afoot and this fish was tossed around for an hour until it went to pieces. In Brisbane, there was an epic fruit fight in Roma Street between boys who commandeered produce trucks. 
Hundreds of Brisbane people also took the opportunity to pelt an effigy of Hirohito that had been hung from a building, while above their heads, low-flying aircraft buzzed the city. Brisbane's Telegraph newspaper reported, quote, One car, stopped by traffic lights, immediately became hidden by a mass of screaming humanity, which clambered on its mudguards, bonnet and bumper bars. Of course, from the first moment that peace had been announced, newspaper reporters and photographers had been out in full force. Special editions of their publications hit the streets while the celebrations were still in full swing. In Brisbane, newsboys with hot-off-the-press copies of The Telegraph were besieged. As a later edition that day reported, quote, Many newsboys could not cope with the rush of customers and people grabbed handfuls of papers, throwing money on the pavement in front of the sellers. Such was the happy hysteria that people bought the papers, quickly read them, and then tore them up to throw them in the air. Melbourne's telephone exchange experienced the most traffic since the end of World War I, while Sydney's operators handled 10 times the usual number of calls. In Melbourne, radio broadcasts were made from an old newspaper delivery van that Herald Radio Station 3DB DLK had converted into a mobile broadcasting unit. The Herald reported, quote, At times, the broadcaster's voice could scarcely be heard over the hubbub of the yelling crowds, mostly of youths and girls that surged around the truck, clambering on the roof and sides. Australian newsreel crews were also driving through crowds in the capital cities, and everywhere a lens was turned, the camera recorded seas of smiling faces, dancing people, and showers of paper streamers. Amid all this joy, there was also solemnity. More than 39,000 Australians had been killed in the conflict, and in Sydney's Martin Place, a returned soldier dropped to his knees in prayer, in remembrance of these lost lives, and in thanksgiving that the war was over. An old woman knelt beside him, and soon another dozen women joined them, their silent prayers temporarily hushing the celebrations around them. Thousands more people packed into cathedrals and churches for services and in between masses for silent moments of reflection. While there were prayers and tears, the mood was overwhelmingly joyous, bordering on manic. Melbourne's Herald got it right with a little alliterative headline that read, Bells, bugles, banners, bear hugs, bobby socks, beer, bedlam. That newspaper's above-the-fold front-page headline that day read, World hails Jap surrender, Hirohito to order ceasefire, Japan's surrender to the Allies was announced by British Prime Minister Mr Attlee in London last night. It was right, but it was also a mouthful. Sydney's The Sun and Brisbane's The Telegraph were far more succinct, both running huge screamers that simply read, Peace. The Sydney Sun's coverage came with the headline, Sydney goes wild with joy, laughing, kissing mob makes city playground. And its article about the spontaneous celebration began, quote, A wave of emotion such has never been before seen in Sydney swept over the city the moment it was known peace was really here at last. Sydney went to town in a big way. The tense atmosphere of the past five days vanished. Joyous, unrestrained celebration took its place. The day's newspapers also contained reports that press censorship was at an end. Proof of this could be found in big articles about the war's big secret, 
bigger, they claimed, even than the atomic bomb project, and that was the use of radar. While these articles sought to explain what until then had been a secret technology, a far more easily understood example of the relaxation of censorship was found in Sydney's The Sun. This was a dramatic photo taken by a brave photographer of a brave bomb disposal unit recovering a live shell that had been fired from a Japanese submarine into a street in Rose Bay, an event that had taken place more than three years earlier on the 8th of June 1942. On this day 75 years ago, celebrations extended far into the night, a night in which blackout was no longer needed. Everybody could also party safely in another respect, because tomorrow was also a public holiday. A Victory in the Pacific radio concert was held in Sydney's domain, and it attracted up to 150,000 people. Fireworks and flares shot up over the harbour, and this was the first time that many children had seen such spectacle because it had been banned during the war. Searchlight crews shone their brilliant beams into the sky and formed a huge V over Martin Place. King's Cross was also thronged with revellers, and accompanying footage of them, the movie tone newsreel narrator would waggishly call this suburb a well-known forward operating area. No doubt there was a lot of forward operating that night all across Australia, and the first baby boomers would be born the following year. One million people packed Sydney's streets that night. The following day, Sydney Morning Herald called the party, quote, the greatest celebration in Sydney's history, city's noisy, hilarious greeting to victory. There were similar scenes all over the country. Among the millions who celebrated that day, a few stood out because they were in front of cameras at the right place and at the right time. In Melbourne, a young woman named Lois Ann Martin had knitted a red, white and blue sweater vest with VP Day embroidered on the front. When she heard the news, she donned her garment and wrote VP on her cheeks and forehead in lipstick. Her photograph, clutching a noisemaker and arm in arm with friends, ran on the front page of the Herald that afternoon. The picture became one of the day's iconic images, though Lois's identity wouldn't be known until 1995 when her widower came forward and donated that sweater to the Australian War Memorial. In Sydney, as newspaper photos showed, Bondi barmaid Marjorie Laurie was blonde when viewed from the front, but from the back she'd braided her hair into a Union Jack and dyed it red, white and blue. Also impossible to miss if you were down at Circular Quay was Fort Street schoolgirl Pat Joyner who'd festooned herself with 30 flags, the Union Jack around her school hat, her neck, on strings around her arms and poking from every blazer pocket. She told The Sun, quote, I've been expecting peace and I am prepared to celebrate it in the right way. The most famous reveller by far was Sydney's Dancing Man. This young chap pirouetted along Elizabeth Street, filmed by a movie tone newsreel crew. In the coming decades, there'd be numerous men, then in their senior years, who'd claimed that they'd been the dancing man. The strongest and most credible contender was Frank McElroy, who'd then been a young law student and who'd go on to be a renowned Sydney barrister. Reading the articles from that day, looking at the photos and watching the newsreels, the most touching account I found was of a young Brisbane woman who'll forever remain anonymous and whose picture wasn't taken by a photographer or a newsreel crew. 
this woman's simple gesture and words were surely replicated all over the country that day and in the days, weeks, months, years and decades to come. As the Brisbane Telegraph reported, quote, A girl who broke away from her singing group joyfully tipped a passing Australian soldier lightly on the cheek and said, Thanks, Dig. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. 